I just want to wake up every day, throw a leg over my scoot, and ride. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. On road or off road, wrencher, rider, racer, or just a weekend warrior, this is the show for you. You found us, my fellas. Welcome to the American Roadrunner Podcast. And now, your host, Bob Marshall. It's that time again, my fellows. Time for another American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show. We've got sidecars, Pike Peak climbs, and just a cool couple that seem to do a lot together. And yes, as you guessed it, the headlights on a few fellow Ride 1K in a Day riders. These people are awesome. We're going to be putting our headlights on them. Stay clicked in for all the excitement. This is John and Kate plus a few motorcycles. Today, a little excited. It's not every day we get to meet and chat with people who actually get to ride together and use the excuse to get to ride together. You get to go first. State your name. Hey, um, Johnny Fillmore. That was fast. Yes. Kate, your turn. I'm sorry. State your name. Hi, I'm Kate. Welcome. Glad you guys could make it to the Flying Marshall Laboratory, also known as my living room. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool hearing about it. I'm in the real place. John, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, comes from a bit of a background. By a bit of a background, I mean he's done some exciting things. So we're going to start with a little backstory. John, you have a problem with sidecars and three wheels. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of kicked the problem at least. It became a full-on addiction. Um, racing was the problem at first. And I did, you know, Supermoto and raced the SB650, but ran into some sidecar racers while I was doing that. And the next thing you know, I'm passenger on one of those uh, road racing style sidecars. And um, Do you mean monkey? Yeah, it's also called that. The, <laughs> the, the British folks think that's kind of insulting for some reason. It's insulting to monkeys, I guess. Are you British? Say. No, no. This so, is... you're a monkey. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or swinger. A swinger, that's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah. another one. I prefer a squirrel, honestly, because you're really scrambling around a lot more. Right. More like I always say like a squirrel on a hot tin roof. It's kinda how it feels. Because you're not you're not really a passenger. That's the, the official term is passenger, but you're really more like a co pilot. Uh, you can't you cannot ride the bike. It's like a street sidecar you can ride around without a passenger. And you should be careful because mm-hmm. it's light on one side, but the race bikes, I mean like I take it to go get gas and it, you, it's very difficult to just turn in any direction. Right. Um, so you're absolutely, and then you push them to the limit, you're going 140 miles an hour, sliding around. Um, it's a huge trust thing. And I think that was one of the biggest draws was like, you can't go to a school for it. You can't read a book about it. And you can't necessarily copy the guy who's faster than you because the bikes are different. They come from different eras. There's long chassis and short chassis. And if your driver has a different style, then you have, you have to adapt to that style. So, 
you don't get to do what you think is the fastest thing. You get to do what will make the combination of you, the driver, and the bike the fastest. And it was also it's most physically demanding thing I had ever done. Still to this day, I've done boot camp in the Marines and um, spent a year in Iraq and 15 minutes on a sidecar, just doing like a six or eight lap sprint. It was just unbelievable. You hit that, you know, like there's a wall you hit when you're running, um, and then you push through the wall. When you're yeah. when you're passing on a sidecar, it's more like you just by the end of the first lap, you hit the wall, and then you've got seven more laps to go, and there is no through the wall. You're just I can remember racing out in Bakersfield one time at Button Willow and doing, it was like the slow thing of, of fading out like you're blacking out. So you start to get the tunnel vision, but it just never went completely away. Like I could still see the center and I didn't need to see that much because I'm passengering, right? I only have to know where the handholds are. So I did two laps like that and never actually passed out, but it is definitely hard work. And I think passenger is more of an insult than monkey because passenger is sort of like you're riding along. There, there is no chair. Just a flat metal deck, and um, but eventually I got into driving it as one does because it's like, oh, I can go faster than this guy. You need to just open the throttle up more, and then you get the handlebars in your hand, and you realize that the whole thing is just completely wound up and out of control. And it, a lot of people say like, oh, it looks so smooth when you're out there. I'm like, there's nothing smooth about it. If, you know, if I had a third hand, I I could use it to keep the handlebars straight. Um, but again, that was the same draw. You can't go to a school. You can't read a book. There's, it's more like. Uh, you know, fighter pilot nowadays has a huge amount of training that they get before they even get into air combat, just to fly the plane and fly in formation and communicate. Uh, World War One fighter pilot got a couple hours in the seat, and then you were on your own. There was nothing but hand signals, and, you know, you had to keep the thing running while you were in the damn thing, because they would break down so often. And sidecars are like that. I think a World War One fighter pilot's running a sidecar racing. It's, um, it's just, it seems impossible, and yet you do it over and over. Well, like I said, it, it became an addiction, um, as things do when you're passionate about them. And it, it just got to the point where I was, I was the president of the club. Um, I had won a couple championships and taken a bunch of second places and wins. And I was promoting the entire sport, not just myself. And the time I spent in the garage and on the road just was so much more than the time I got to spend on the track. And so last year I got out of it, sold the sidecar. And I'd kind of done everything that I could do with road racing sidecars anyways. We'd done Pikes Peak six times, set the record three times. I got to do it while there was still some dirt left. I got to do it when it was all asphalt. Which is kind of cool because they just resurfaced all of Pikes Peak, what, three years ago? Four years ago? Well, they actually had been spending ten years repaving it. They right. had to go a section at a time. Right. So it started where it was like, first they paved down below the, the part where that isn't even the racetrack. And then they added asphalt sort of in the, in the middle. Then they added at the top part, but not all the way up there. And that's the really difficult part is when you get up really high, it's, it's gotta be above 50 degrees to pave. And there's only a couple weeks out of the year where it's 50 degrees. So it was the very last year was, I think, 2011. There was still some dirt at the top. And it was, it wasn't just dirt. It's pencil press. So it's really hard packed stuff. Um, and it gets a blue groove on it from the cars. So there is some traction, but it's really bumpy too because the cars tear it up. It's not like the clay that people race on where it's kind of built to deal with wheel spin. It's more built to deal with people in their minivans going up and down right, and taking pictures. Right. So you would end up with some, some vicious ruts and I would just kind of tiptoe over it and then just haul ass on the parts that were paved and uh, ended up with the record that way. And then 2012 was the first year that it was all asphalt. 
And uh, actually, this will be this next year, the 2020, will be the first year they don't have bikes since '92, uh, I think, something like that. They're gonna take a take a little break and try to re figure out the safety thing regarding having the bikes racing up Pikes Peak. Yeah, it's, they have only had two racer fatalities since the event started in 1916, and right. in the last, I think, four years, they've had three more fatalities, and all of them have been bikes. So the, the speeds are just way up. And I think, you know, another thing that people forget, too, is it's narrower, because when you were racing on dirt, you had the shoulders and both lanes of travel, because it was all dirt. Right, you end up with 25 feet or something yeah. versus the 20 feet you have yeah. now. But now, yeah, you get off the edge of that pavement, it's the pavement scene. There's no, like, curb that's all concrete and painted and perfect for you to transition onto. So even if you use those last couple inches of asphalt, you're technically on the asphalt, but it tries to grab the front tire and yank you off the track. So And you got that whole white paint strip. Yeah, yeah, the double, the double <laughs> yellow is... Uh, usually the double yellow is not a problem for the sidecar because we're running uh, mm. car wheels. Mm. But uh, I had a buddy slide on some. I don't know if there was some oil down or sometimes there's water in the morning, you know, the mist clears but it stays on the paint and uh, he went backwards during practice and ended up in a ditch what was your time uh it was i think 11 11 26 and how far is it from the bottom to the top well the race starts up at the nine mile mark uh it's 12.42 miles 156 turns for the actual racetrack so what's your what's that average speed for your best time um i think it's somewhere in the 70 mile range wow 70 or 80 miles an hour good for you yeah, it's super tight, actually. It's really weird doing, when you road race, you're, you know, you're on 50, 80 foot wide strips of pavement and you might be going 140, but you, you would go 150 if you had more horsepower. Cause it's just, there's not a lot of stuff there. So the sensation of speed goes by. And with Pikes Peak, you never get to run the whole course until race day. Right. So you get to run the bottom, the middle and the top during practice. And the whole time you're doing that, there's really nobody up there. It's just right. practice. Right. And so there's a couple of hay bales and some trees and a few guardrails. But when you get to the uh, race day, it just becomes this like technicolor tunnel of human beings right on the edge of the track. And right. it makes everything feel twice as fast. So you immediately have to recalibrate. And you start just, just from go. It's, it's timed, you know, one at a time with like a one minute interval. Right. So you don't even, it's not even the guy with the flag just says go whenever you want to. And when you, break the beam it starts so cold tires cold brain and immediately you're up to fifth gear what kind of bike is it uh the bike it's a custom built frame uh by a guy named shelbourne in uh, ireland like a 90s era sidecar although back then they were running 600 cc motors but um for pike's peak it's unlimited so i had a thousand cc gsxr motor in it mm, that's uh, the a old, good one yeah the old k6 the old five and oh sixes were the really good ones yeah they had a bit of an overbuilt crank and a lot of just they had more technical savvy and that it was really popular back in the day to use the banded motor that's it's also popular in drag racing because the bottom end was so overbuilt you can put a lot of power through it because since the sidecars have extra weight and they've got more traction so they don't wheelie um you tear up tra- uh, cranks and transmissions a lot. Right, it's right, not, it's, right. You know, or you throw a rod because you over, overdo it on downshift. Because, you, you know, the rear wheel will hop, but on a sidecar, it doesn't necessarily want to hop. It'll just snap a chain or throw a rod <laughs> yeah. instead. Yeah, it's a little little bit more pressure. Did you get to spectate and enjoy this, Kate? I did. One year. One year I got to come along. And it's, 
very limited opportunity to see anything from the right. spectators. So I spent probably seven or eight hours just looking at screens and trying to make friends with families that, you know, had their had their barbecue right, right. and trailers out. Um, so it was it was a good time, but not uh, not as exciting as watching flat track or any other of his races. Well, you're right. You bring up a you bring up a good point about that. I know that's hard land speed racing, like I do. The spectators are the best place to be is in the pits, but my crew is back at the starting line, and <laughs> once I'm a half a mile down course, they can't see me. But like Button Willow, you can sit and spectate. How long is the track at Button Willow? The one we usually do is about two point six miles. Okay. But yeah, it's a course, so it's a circuit. So there's there's really it's sort of like a dog leg shape. Um, you can see the entire track. There's a little back section that you might not be able to see because it goes around the pits, but right. you, you can basically see all of it. The real problem, I guess, too, is you're you're pretty far back in road racing. Um, so the sensation of speed is kind of gone unless you're up high and even then it's just a bunch of ants running around out there. Um, I have the same thing. One of the things that got me into being a journalist actually was I just wanted the photo pass so I could get on the other side of the catch fence because you needed to be close. There's always a hundred feet of gravel and two catch fences and you can't see a damn thing. Um, flat track I think is a lot better for that because even if you're in the grandstands, you the oval, you can see the whole thing. And if it's right. a short track, you can see them wrestling the bikes and fighting with them. Right. Road racing, it's so much more finesse. It's you're just it's you're right on that razor's edge, you know, sliding. But you can't see somebody sliding when they're going 140. But you can easily see somebody sliding sideways at 40 when they're on clay. Right. And you guys, so you got to do some flat tracking as well. Yeah, I mostly covered that stuff. I've only done the only one I've done was the. Um, uh, the Surf City Blitz, which was on asphalt. That was like a little TT course they did. Right. In the Roland Sands Hooligan Series. Right. And uh, I just did that in the Run What You Brung with that little, I got a little Buell Blast that I bought for like 750 bucks and just rode it down there just because I'm from Huntington Beach and it was a race in Huntington Beach and like, I, I have to do this. So it was only 75 bucks to enter. I was I was at the Kernville camp out and probably had one too many free, uh, some 805s that they were giving out there. Those were good. Yeah. Those were so good. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll step back a minute. This fuel blast is pretty freaking cool. When I finally got to meet John, he pulled up on this fuel blast at the Kernville camp out. And this seems way cool. I know we ran, whatever, 50 miles north up into the hills there, up into, what was that, Ponderosa, that little town that mm -hmm. was closed. Yeah, for a wedding. We, yeah, that's Old right. Town. We spent like, what, like two hours just cruising through the mountains looking for lunch. We never... Yeah, <laughs> but then we came to that other place. They were closed. Oh, that's hilarious! But I'll tell you, it's a dark, cold, wet, stormy night. Even here in Riverside, California, the water's pouring off the house. And these guys pulled up half an hour ago on the same fuel blast, riding to up. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have my respect. Yeah, that that thing suffers, but um, it, it, it it's my respect. I mean, I kind of bought it because I just had a standing rule that if I saw a Buell Blast that ran for under a thousand dollars, I would, I would buy it and figure out what to do with it later. And I found one for seven hundred fifty bucks, and it was like it had a new belt, it didn't need brakes, it didn't leak oil, and it didn't need tires. And I thought, well, any motorcycles were seven hundred fifty bucks if they can meet that criteria. Right. And it's legal. Right. Um, it was only due like one year of back fees on the registration. Was what well, I mean, it's 
California, so you got like a lot of people freak out when I tell them I paid 350 bucks for the registration, but it's usually like 130, 150 bucks a year to register bikes here. Right. Um, and when you do the title and the transfer and all that, because I've got a bike out in Arizona and it's like 30 bucks. Oh yeah, totally different ball game. You did mention journalism. Do you happen to do a little bit of journalism? <laughs> That's how John and I actually met. Yeah, it's. I mean. I don't know if I should call myself a journalist, to be fair, because that's like a, it's a vocation with a lot of training, but a moto journalist is all, it's just, that's the person that writes about motorcycles, and I definitely write about motorcycles. I write about speed in general. Um, speed on motorcycles. Yeah, it doesn't have to just this be is, motorcycles. This is the IE, so you gotta be careful how you oh, speed around. Yeah, not the methamphetamine. Uh, Riverside, right. Yeah, and I like to smoke tires more than that. Might keep yeah. staying in my head that way. Probably cheaper, too. Well, it depends on, you know, if you get busted for reckless driving, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Currently, you got the Buell Blast. What else do you have in your arson? Um, yeah, the only other thing in the stable right now that's running is I got a 01 Yamaha FZ1. I've had that for like five years. And it's a fine enough bike, but it's really, it was just, I needed a one bike to rule them all. I didn't have the space for a bunch of bikes, and I was racing, so I didn't want to play with projects. I was right. already in the garage working on the race bike, and right. the FZ1 was she was like immaculately clean, um, had thirty thousand miles on it, but it looked brand new. So I just I got it because it was the right price at the right time, and um, it's fast, it's fun, but it doesn't have a lot of personality. I don't think um, I'm not a huge fan of four cylinders, anyways, but it's got it's got enough power, you know, it's got the grunt to get around. It does the long distance stuff. It does the commuting stuff. And if you want to, you know, drag foot pegs and haul ass on it, you can do that too. So for years it was, I mean, there's like 95,000 miles on it now. I've had it four years or five years at this point. But, um, yeah, it just doesn't really do anything for me. It's got, um, it has all the sex appeal of a stapler, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not super easy to work on. The Buell is, I mean, it, that's the blast is basically, they took the 883 Sportster motor and just lopped the back cylinder off. Right. So right. it's air cooled. It's ridiculously simple. It has a belt instead of a chain. Um, it's just, and then it, the fact that it's $750 means you don't do a lot of maintenance. As long as the oil gets changed and the tires get put on and the brake pads put on, um, there's really not a lot left to do. I had a right one on the way back, actually, from Kernville Camp out, the front wheel bearings collapsed. Yeah, you could, yeah. yeah. I mean, I still rode it like another 200 miles with it just <laughs> crunching away. Um, you don't get to do that on a $5,000 motorcycle, but I just was like, well, as long as the wheel stays on. And, right. You know, it wasn't like it was going to fall off completely. The big fear is, I, if you've ever done this, I don't recommend doing it, but I have done it. The the bearing wears enough and the wheel will pop over. Right. And that pushes the brake pads out. Right. And then it pops back and then you go for the brakes after riding down the freeway for hours and you forget that you even have brakes. And yeah, you, you got to give it a pump. Pump them three or four times. Right. You're so used to going 85, 90 on the freeway and you suddenly grab brakes on the off ramp and you realize, oh, that ramp had a sign that said 35 and I'm going 65 and now the front <laughs> brakes don't want to work. So. Although I don't, I think only half my motorcycles have front brakes. I usually just enjoy the mechanical rears. All the heavy bikes have front brakes. That way when I'm pushing them around the backyard to push them into place, I can grab the front brake. Right. Other than that, I rarely use the front brake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you got my vote. Yeah, I started on the street. Um, the parents never had money for dirt bikes or motorcycles. My old man had a bike, but um, he really just used it because he owned an Alfa Romeo. 
And if you own an Alfa Romeo, you have to have a second form of transportation. <laughs> and so he had a little like GS550 that he, he just rode it to get parts and to run to the liquor store. So he wasn't really into bikes, never got me into bikes, but um, he was a bit of a gearhead. Just, you know, he, that was one of the only things we could really bond on was uh, airplanes. And he's a, he was more into like the exotics, the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris. I got more into muscle cars and V8 Fords and pickups. And then I got into bikes. The bikes were, it was just obvious because as a 20 year old Marine making, I don't know, I think we were taking home 1600 bucks a month back then. It was like, this could be my weekend toy and my ride to work. So, and the first bike I bought, it was, I bought it from a friend. It was an old Nighthawk 550, one of the really ugly ones from the eighties, like some teal green paint job. It was 700 bucks. Mm, those are great. Though. Yeah. They're great bikes. Yeah, I learned a lot. It, it went, it kept eating the, the ECU, the little transistors, the CDI box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the transistorized ignition, but there was so many of them running around. Um, As a $20 part. Yeah. Yeah. Final, yeah, it was 300 bucks that you got from the dealer, but yeah, it was 25 bucks. That's it. And the, the guy had like a Connex box, just opened it up and went, and just went right into the cardboard box. Here's some, and he's got like eight. <laughs> so I just kept going back. That's great. <laughs> Ever wonder what happened to the music they used to play on the radio? It's now available and virtually commercial-free for your ride. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today and enjoy it streaming or download songs to your heart's content. Dirty Radio FM is free and the best way to enjoy music through a Senna like Bob or with earbuds while you're on the road. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the Headlight. Let's hope you all have been staying healthy and safe and riding motorcycles at this particular time. I can tell you for myself, I've been out and about a bit, hence why this show might be a week or two late. But let's get to it. Ride one can a day. We're going to start with rider three of three at McKenzie underscore G. Crushed the 1K Canadian loop with the two friends, as mentioned in the last show. 1,712 kilometers in 19 hours, 16 minutes. Yes, that's 1,063 miles. It's great to see people wanting to make it happen. It was a fun and challenging task. The weather was fairly mild. However, the wind was quite strong. The ride was great, and they definitely would do it again. Well done. Welcome to the clan. We're ringing bells now. Heads up. Okay, let's get a late submission. This is Rider 4 of a ride we did a few shows ago at JR0D37. Knocked out this Ride 1 can a day loop, starting in Southern California and moving up. Clocking 1,000. 12 miles in 17 hours, 12 minutes. They write, Do the ride 1K in a day, they said. It'll be fun, they said. They forgot to mention the near-freezing temps, but it was a great blast and got it done in a solid group of guys. The ride kicked off at 3 in the morning and didn't end till 2,300 hours. An experience for the books. Next one up on the gram at Krusty Creations. This has got to be a record for the latest entry on when they did the ride. Maybe they get a few more you-don't-ride patches. Got them at 1,020 miles in 19 hours, 9 minutes. The story goes, 
He'd been wanting to ride a thousand miles since he first heard about it a few years ago. When my barber was setting up a group, I jumped in. The day before the ride, three people canceled. My buddy's clutch went out and the last couple made other plans. I decided to screw it. I was going. Left the first gas station at around 5 a.m. and headed north out of Riverside. That might be where I am. Up to 395, round and about. All an average of 6,000 feet up to 8,000 feet into the snow line. Always rolling 15 miles above the speed limit. Took the 99 down, made it all happen, got the 5 home. Let's head to the East Coast at D-O-M-C-M-B. Crush the 1K turn and burn, 1,008 miles in 18 hours, 32 minutes. They rot. What a day. 7.30, my bike was filled up, fresh and clean. At 500 miles, she was still looking pretty good. Juju was perfect, but then bam! While I stood in a lot of Coco's Beach, Harley-Davidson, a guy on his bike gets whacked by a Camaro. I literally saw it right after giving my wife the I'm good call. Needless to say, made it all happen. A little bit of rain, Florida, Georgia. After about 50 miles, that quit. Had a great time. Got back to the garage about 2 a.m., washed down the 1K with a beer, and absorbed just how awesome a machine my bike is. Well done. Next one, at ramblin.mat, 1,019 miles in 22 hours, 27 minutes. He needed two maps due to a tow from Baker, California to Las Vegas. They all left in the morning. Made it all happen. Get up. He has a bad tire on the Buell. Needless to say, he had to get a tow, get a new tire, and then he had only 10 hours to do the last 500 miles. Headed straight home down the I-15. Made it all happen from SoCal and a nice little loop around. Congratulations, Ramblin.Matt. Welcome to the gang. And don't forget, you can catch all this on the gram, rod1k underscore in a day. This man, R-H-E-T-T-I-S-A-D-L-A-R, is our 2019 record holder for fastest time in 1K at 13 hours and most miles under 24 hours at 1623. That's 1,623 miles in less than 24 hours. He came back for a much more leisure ride this year. 1K in 18 hours, 32 minutes. He rides after monitoring weather for a week. Mike and I made it official the morning before with a text, let's roll. The next morning, 3 a.m., another text. Looking like we might stay dry if we can get to KC early. And by KC, they mean Kansas City. With the usual of dodging weather, good spirits, making it all happen, missing an exit or two, turning down the highway, getting fuel, all the good things. 1,000 mile post beer included. Another ride, 1K in the books. Well done again. Let's get back to the road with Bob Marshall and the American Roadrunner podcast. Kate, let's start at the beginning. Okay. How did it all, how did the two-wheel magic of your life happen for you? Well, immediately when I met John, that was my introduction to knowing anything about two wheels at all. Right. Yeah, so my parents always drove automatics and took them to the shop to get any maintenance done. Right. So I... I never thought twice about the um, 
inner workings of vehicles and never developed that kind of uh, relationship with the vehicle. Right. But when I met John, I realized that, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle and it's a passion. And so let's talk about the near future. What are the near, what are the near future plans for you? So yeah, so learning is the key word. It's been a process of baby steps. We've uh, driven around a dirt bike, I guess I should say I, um, but it feels like we because he's kind of coaching me on the gear shifts and the, I mean, it's just a, it's just a whole new way of looking at operating a vehicle and I'm not an extremely cautious person in most areas of my life, (laughs) but when it comes to riding a bike, I do feel like I want to be careful. It's a big machine and it's loud. Yeah? Yeah. So it's, you know, it kind of throws me. I apologize. My damn coffee maker. Every freaking show that coffee maker has to chime in. You get a sponsorship from the coffee maker company and then just leave the beats in. Man, my Mr. Coffee is... And honestly, I leave it in. I think I've gotten a few comments. People are excited to hear from my coffee maker on the damn show. So, (laughs) forgive the interruption. (laughs) We got a live remote interview happening in the kitchen. That's right. What do you have to say, coffee maker? Bubble, 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 bubble. Percolate, percolate. This is gasoline and coffee coffee. Enjoy. So the idea is you enjoy riding Piloteer. It's called Piloteer, by the way. Too loud. Piloteer, I've never heard that. That's okay. I currently hold the record for Piloteer riding on the back as a Piloteer. And because I hold the record, I get to refer to it as Piloteer. Sounds more strange. I think so. So you're going Piloteer. You got plans to travel soon. Yes. Mm. Let's hear the plans. Well, they are evolving. I love that. I love that. Day by day, but this has been a conversation between us for years. So it's evolved into something that is doable. Right. Um, the dream was big. The dream is still big. It looks like us starting in Utah and driving north, um, going between the Great Lakes, up through Canada, nice, down, nice. down through Maine, East Coast, Florida, South, and then back up through Texas, Arizona, California, and then maybe hitting the West Coast, Oregon, and Washington. Trying to get to as many states as we can. Think there'll be a lot of camping involved? Oh, yeah. We're on a budget. Uh, I've always been up for it. Yeah, I'm definitely big into camping, big into being around nature, low maintenance in that way. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Are you guys members of that Facebook group, MMB? Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, I'm on that one. Yeah, that's a, she does a really good job on that. I'm always impressed. Actually, she was just a guest. But I tell you what, it's real impressive how, I mean, 
I'll stop at a rest stop and grab a, you know, a few hours and crash next to the bike. But boy, these, these guys are really a step above what I'm doing. I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited to be a member of said Facebook page just to learn so much. I learned quite a bit. The other one they've got going is called, uh, Bunker Biker. And it's actually a whole, have you heard of that one? It's yeah. a whole, it's free camping. Uh, or free, you know, bunking in a house with bunker biker. It's all free, and it's also put on by Z, you know, with MMV. So if you get a chance, you can look into that, and they're just people who are happy to be hospitable and have you crash at their house or crash in their yard or, you know, yeah. whatever. Here's a motorcycle safe place, motorcyclist safe place. Yeah, what? I did that for a while. When I lived in uh, San Francisco, I was so close to PCH. Mm. Um, you know, ADD Rider, the huge website, they've got a... Um, yeah. They've got like the, I can't remember what it's called anymore. I think it's called the tent space thread. Mm. And it's basically just a Google map and you can put your, you know, they don't put your exact address on it, but they put the area that you're at. And then you just put a post. So if they click on your thing on the map, it opens your post and it says, you know, what you have available. Some people it's, you know, just camp in the backyard. Some people, they have, a, you know, we had a futon and I had a garage because I had the race bike. So yeah, it was really cool. I never actually used it on a road trip, but I had so many people that were coming up like they were doing the Tierra del Fuego to uh, Crudo Bay, right? And they'd stop in San Francisco. And since I was right on Pacific Coast Highway, um, I through the summer, I got man, I got I remember uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a um, Italian guy who lived in Australia and had three or four months off from work. I can't remember if he did like you know offshore stuff or engineering some, and so they were just off because of the weather. And so he shipped his bike from Australia to Tierra del Fuego and was riding up, and it just. It's so great to, um, at the time I was in college, so I, the, the class, my classes were in the afternoon, so I wake up and make them some breakfast and just have some coffee. And it was like that vicariousness. Right. They were doing right. Free. And obviously they meet other travelers that are doing the same thing. So they've right. got just so many stories and you get couples that would come through. You get a guy with a, you know, he's had a broken saddlebag mount since he was in Columbia and I got, got a welder so we could get him back on the road again. And, so I, you know, got quite a few stickers to add to the toolbox from people. <laughs> That's true. Everyone's carrying stickers, and I know I do. I get real excited about. And then they take pictures of where they put them and post them on the, on the gram or something for me. I, I always really freaking enjoy that. What um, you guys will be gone several months. Yeah, it's I mean it's budget depending, but right. um, the the idea was six months. I think mm. the way we did the math is we can we can do about five and a half months no problem. Um. But it just depends on how many miles we hit because it's also, you got to be careful when you're trying to do a big trip. If you make it about the trip, um, you end up hauling ass and going from place to place and you don't get to actually experience the trip. And that's, as a guy who's a racer, I'm just, you know, the longer the trip you take, what I've noticed is the more you learn to slow down. Like on my third or fourth day, I finally stopped going 85, 90 miles an hour to get from spot to spot because the place that I am the place that I'm going is riding on the bike. So why am I in a hurry? I am actually where I'm supposed to be right now. And uh, you don't book hotels ahead of time. Then you don't have any specific destination. Friends know that you're coming roughly Tuesday. And you just keep them you know, up to, up to date with a few texts here and there when you're at the gas station. And just actually enjoy the place. Meet the people and get the experience instead of just having like, Getting back and being more tired than when you left and having a hundred pictures of your bike parked in front of this national monument and that gas station and not really remembering what you did. 
Um, so I've, I've wanted to do a huge trip like this. I've never been on the road more than about 10 days straight. Um, and I was doing a loop. And I've been cross country a couple times because the military has sent me over to the East Coast and I've sure. you know, bought, a, bought a bike and rode it, um, back to California and, um, did a couple. I've done so many trips around the West and on the East Coast, around the South. But uh, I've always missed the Northeast. I've never gotten up there. And despite living in California for so long, I've always gone somewhere. I've got friends in Arizona, friends in Nevada, you know, friends in Colorado. So I still haven't been up to uh, Oregon or Washington except to race. I was telling the trailer up the I-5. Right. You know, and you're, you're, yeah, I got to go to Portland, but I really spent the entire time in the paddock hanging out with the same guys that I do at every racetrack. So I really want to spend some time in not just the coast either, you know, there, people forget there's a desert. People think of Oregon and Washington is like snow and clouds and, you know, rain and green, but it's all desert, the whole inside. They're, they're pretty wide open and empty states, but it's not as wide open and, um, it's not as vicious a desert as the Mojave, you know. Oh, sure, or Arizona or any of those. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've gotten to check out a few of them. It is always amazing. But I completely agree with you, John. That's been my problem is that I just end up hauling butt through and I you don't always stop and smell the roses. So I've worked very hard. I know I went up to Oregon several months ago. And I worked very hard just to hang out for a week, hit the coffee shops, try not to get too far. You know, I'd go twenty miles, I'd be in Portland for a day or two and then Mount Hood for another day or two, you know, there's whatever, fifty, sixty miles between those two and just Try to relax. It's hard. It's hard to relax sometimes. Yeah, and that's we definitely want to stay away from, um, not stay away specifically from every major city, but we're we're not going to do, you know, we're not going up to the top of the Empire State Building to get pictures. We're going to go to campgrounds. We're going to go to communes. We want to go to Buddhist temples. Um, nice. I've spent a lot of time like in New Mexico, and you're in some small town, and you stop for gas and. They'll give you free coffee because the gas station attendant's so damn bored. They want right, to talk. Right. A lot of time when you're in the big city with your friends, they they love to see you and it's great to have you. But they've got you know the the kids got the flu and the horse needs fed or I got to get to work or the truck needs you know yeah. It's cool to go and you get a payoff. You're staying there and eating their food by helping them rotate their tires or something like that. But you you have to speed back up to their pace. Right. They're still locked into life and. Right. Getting in them smaller towns, and it's like, oh, I've lived here since I was born. It was a silver town. The, uh, that closed down building was our schoolhouse, and it's all boarded up now. But I went to school there. And they they know so much, and they they want to share it because they right. they've got nothing going on. So you're actually like the most exciting thing that happened to them that day. They actually end up being the most exciting thing that happened for you that day. Maybe you can tell us where. It's okay to step out of your normal life. You guys are up in the Bay Area now, right? Right, Oakland. Oakland. And you're just going to hit the road for several months. Is the housing paid for? Are you, how are you doing it? Let's hear the, let's hear the plan. So, we don't have a return plan. It's up in the air. We know, we know we don't want to be back in Oakland. We don't hate it. But we're ready for something different. I'm, I'm tying us down there while I finish school. But we're going to stick our things in a storage and we're going to figure it out. Um, we have options. So we're, we're just going to, you know, feel it out and see what feels right at the end of the trip. 
Let's hear the love story. I'm interested in the love story. Well, I guess I'm just a late bloomer. I mean, you know, <laughs> I just didn't know what to do with my GI Bill for a long time. So I, I went to college when I was 26, and then I went again when I was 28, and then I went again when I was 31. And, um, I finally just decided, you know what, I'm going to actually get a degree out of this. Like, I was just taking classes to take classes, and um, I might as well walk away with a bachelor's degree and something, and I picked uh, business marketing. It was between race and motorcycles, playing in bands, and being a freelance writer, everything that you do is really like a type of promotion. And when I was the president of the uh, SRA West, the Sidecar Racers Association West, yeah. um, that whole thing was getting the word about sidecars out to not just other potential racers, but to other clubs, right. you know, so you had to become an advocate. And so marketing ended up actually being kind of cool. I didn't realize that marketing was so different from sales and advertising. I can't stand advertising. Right. Um, but marketing's more like, you know, it's, it, it's storytelling. And I think whether whatever the vehicle be, metaphorically or physically, it's really about creating stories and hearing other people's stories and being like that repository for stories so that um, you know, when I'm old, I want to be that annoying guy at the bar that has something to add to everything. <laughs> I'm kind of already like that now anyways. Oh, that's great. And this is how you guys met. Yeah, I was in school. Um, at the time, I needed a photography class because I was trying to, you know, if you, yeah, you could be a journalist, but if you don't have photos, come on, it's the internet. And nobody, nobody reads the damn articles anymore. They read the captions and the pictures. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when you write as well as I do. <laughs> and you should, uh, you should definitely I agree. read my articles. Um, but yeah, the photography class meant the GI Bill. I had to switch my major to art. And um, just as a, almost as a joke, I took a jewelry making class. Um, but that ended up being really cool because it's actually metalworking. It's, it's, right. it's really similar. You anneal stuff and you have to know how to cut stuff. But you're doing it on extremely fine, thin things. But you're still using planishing hammers and you know, a lot of making rings and polishing, and it was a blast. And um, at the time, Kate was just out of high school and was taking a couple classes just to feel out college. Right. And so jewelry making is a good one to sort of stick in, and you know. Yeah. Yes, she ended up sitting next to me, and I think I had to show her how to use a tool. And then I was I was going to, uh, I can't remember the documentary now, but there's a documentary, I think it was the Why We Ride documentary. Okay. Um, and I, some of my friends were in it, and uh, Carlin Dunn um, was doing Pikes Peak, and he was in it. And so, yeah, I'm going to go check it out. And then my sidecar pastor at the time, she was going to go with me. She dropped out, and I was like, I'm not going by myself. <laughs> I've got a sidecar. Let me ask this pretty gal sitting next to me, and, you know, she'll probably shoot me down. But you never know. You never know. He took you in a sidecar to the movie? No, no. Oh. Uh, back of the bike. So that's the first time that I was ever on a motorcycle. And I was surprised he even asked me out because we hadn't said more than two words to each other. But it ended up being a good time. And and since then, we've been in each other's lives in some form or another. That's great. Good mm -hmm. for you. And there's, what, 28 years between you and something? Not that bad. Oh, okay. From, like, 18 years. Yeah, good for you guys. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, you know, I just, I refused to grow up. Mm -hmm. And now she's actually growing up, and I have to grow up too, but it's probably time um, to act a little bit more. I don't want to, I don't want to leave Neverland yet, but I could at least, you know, 
gotta be responsible and have some some ideas, but still be a lunatic. I think there's a way to do that. Um, I had just kind of bounced around from crazy project to crazy project and really just enjoyed it for the the fact that I was doing it, but there wasn't like an overriding sort of thing. That's I probably what drew me back to college is I'll I'll just float around and see if I get inspired kind of thing. And um, it helped a, a lot that we were we were always you know somewhere thirty to seventy miles apart. So the first three years we were together was like see each other on the weekends maybe. Sure. And I think that that gave us a lot of time. We got really good at learning how to um, not solve each other's problems, but when you had a when Kay has a problem, she doesn't wait for me to magically know it. She like says, "Hey, you know, this is bothering me," and I don't take social cues very well. So, well, you're a man. Yeah, it's appropriate. Don't love that excuse, but <laughs> it does seem valid in many circumstances. Poor Kate sitting around my dining room table here with two men and then herself. We will <laughs> we will take your opinion in high regard. You're right. It's just an excuse we use sometimes as men. But good for you guys. Yeah, I, I think that's I mean that's kind of what I mean by growing up isn't um you know getting a job in a cubicle and a four hundred one k. It's more like uh, being responsible for the missteps that I take as a person. Because if you don't like me, you just go do your own thing. Because I'm busy doing my thing. And that I I admire that in people. And that was me to a T for many a year. But there's also um, well you could also if you if people keep having the same problem with you over and over, it might actually be you. It might not be the whole world just gets you wrong. And I had that realization uh, about myself, I think, through Kate having the same constant complaint. And uh, she explained it to me 10 different ways. And you know, on the 11th way, I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, I really need to, need to watch. I need to watch myself on that. And uh, just I've grown up, I think, a lot as a person because of being responsible for only yourself. And not particularly caring, as long as there's not holes in your shoes, you're happy. Right. Uh, means that you don't you don't really have to reach for the stars. You know, I've raced Pikes Peak, and I've been involved in these charities, and I've done a lot. You know, been all over Europe and traveled, and been in the military, worked on the helicopters and experimental aircraft. So, sure, I reach for the stars in a lot of senses. But um, when it comes to relating to other people, that's uh, that's a thing you don't think you have to work on because you've been doing it since before you learned how to talk. Mm, yeah, but. We want to better ourselves. Congratulations, Kate. Thank you. Seems you've inspired that young man to do good things and move forward, which can be hard. You know, can be hard to find in people, I think. Yeah. I think we all ride for different reasons. And I've learned with all the stories I've shared and stories that people have shared with me. We all ride for our own reason. Sometimes those reasons can be a little sideways, you know, and they keep us all a little sideways. I'm very excited for you two. I think you're going to have a, a really great time on this road trip of America. I mean, it's it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be all sorts of things, and it's not going to be great the entire time, and I'm ready for the ups and downs and... Yeah. And whatever comes up and just being present with that, right? The when the journey's the destination. Right. Just being present, period. Whatever whatever comes up. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I think I can pull this off without her stabbing me in my sleep. Is 
that general attitude. It's, um, I don't know, a lot of people, if they're uncomfortable and you're the one piloting the bike, your fault. But yeah. it's Kate's not that kind of person. Well, like I said, I've ridden Pilotier a lot as I currently hold the record. Did I mention I hold the record? I might have mentioned that. <laughs> That's why it's called Pilotier, not anything else. But I think you guys are going to have a good time. What bike are you taking? Still working on that, actually. Okay. Um, now this is getting exciting. Yeah. Definitely want it to be a sidecar just for the extra space. Right. And it helps. Although sidecars handle horribly, as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the reasons they're fun to race. Um, they're great when traction sucks. You cannot fall over when you're in the mud on a sidecar. You can't yeah, get them stuck. True. And you might need a shovel to get them out. But, um, like, in D.C., the cops ride year-round. It snows. There's ice. They, they just put a sidecar on the Harley for certain months. Right. And that's right. how they get around. And uh, that was one of the reasons sidecars popped up back in the day. I mean, the main reason was people couldn't afford a car. And you, you know, had to carry the wife and the kid in a picnic basket somewhere on Sunday. And then you got a sidecar. Yeah. But um, I think it's better because we're going to have more space. Um, we've, we've done three, four, five-day trips. And between the camping gear to, uh, and yeah. clothes for three days, yeah, it does fit. And you could do it. You definitely can do it. There's people out there doing it right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on bigger bikes like GS, BMWs. Right. But the handling of the bike is so bad when you have that much weight on the back. Right. You're basically hanging on. You're like sitting on a gas tank trying to get front wheel traction driving down some. You know, it's like a flat dirt road on the way to a campground. But right. um, I'd rather have a sidecar. Um, you drive them slow enough. The mileage doesn't hurt. And so you're still getting 35 miles to the gallon on a bike that might get 45 or 50. Um, I'm friends with and work with uh, Dave Fry at the uh, Veterans Charity Ride in okay. uh, Moab. Okay. Um, they've got some sidecars. They're sponsored by Indian and then Champion Sidecars. So they've got like six or seven different outfits that are um, Indians. But those are Indian fleet bikes still. So I don't think I can use one of those. Um, but he's got a Ural sidecar. And then there was a 1990 Goldwing that was donated to him that has a two-seater I think motivation sidecar on it. Oh man, yeah. that'd be that'd be the cat's meow in my opinion. But I love my gold wings. So yeah, I actually I ferried it out for him. It was in um, it was the guy lived in the housing right next to Laguna Seca. <laughs> that's great. And he was an army vet himself, and that's why he wanted to donate it. Veterans Charity Ride. They um, take wounded and amputee vets on a big ride to Sturgis every year. They've been right. doing it since I think 2015. Right. And um, they they used to be in California and they'd ride all the way out, but uh, Moab was just so huge in their their reception and the way they treated us. And like the mayor came out, the sheriff came out, the fire department came out. But yeah, you know, most of the times we'd come in on a Thursday and there'd still be like eighty to one hundred people hanging out to welcome the veterans at some park. You know, sometimes it was raining, sometimes it was hot. They were they would come every year. Um, I've done it three years now out of the five that they've done it, and so they're based in Moab now. Um, I think I don't know. Since our lease is up July 15th, she'll be out of school late May, early June. Um, Veterans Charity Ride happens about the last week of July through August because they ride to Sturgis for the rally. Right. And uh, it makes sense to head out there, help them get the ride ready, get the bike serviced, get everything set up, you know, as far as uh, being able to greet all the veterans that come in, get them familiar with the bikes. Then I'll I'll do the ride. I pilot the, um, the camera bike. They have a photographer for the ride, Sarah Liberty. And uh, she's been she's been there, I think, every year. 
She's actually got more miles in that sidecar than I do because she's been doing it longer. But uh, we make a good team because I'm a photographer, so I kind of know what she needs yeah. to, what she wants. And yeah. She'll be hanging off the sidecar like with one leg out ready to fall. So you have, you got to be really smooth, but I can look and see what lens she has and I know how close or how far to get away. So it's, it's great because, you know, as a veteran myself, you get that motorcycle therapy. You're out in the right. wind, but you right. also get to serve veterans that have a lot worse of a shot than me because I was in combat, but I wasn't blown up. I, you know, they, they shot a couple mortars at me here and there, but, um, there's just, there's people that have it a lot worse. There's, there's people that, I mean, even just some people that have had vehicle rollovers. Um, a lot of the people that the ID went off and it blew up their truck, but they were completely okay. They weren't actually completely okay. If you're blown into the air by an explosion, it, it compresses your spine. Right. And you definitely get a TBI from the concussion and you're probably going to get permanent hearing loss. Um, some of the guys, lost their lower legs just slowly because the spine damage just kept accumulating and scar tissue eventually made them over the years. And these guys can hop on and ride a sidecar because we've got ones that have um, the the rear brakes just moved over so it's like a bicycle, front brake where the clutch is. Oh, sure, yeah. And then Recluse sponsors them, has those centrifugal clutches and right. just a, a hand shifter and they can ride them around. It's got a sidecar. A lot of the guys are single amputees and they'll be missing uh, one leg, but they can still balance the bike. And, you know, even though those Indians are heavy, the weight's real low, so it's pretty easy to keep them um, front and center, you know, with the rubber side down. So we'll probably take off for the trip, um, either from Moab when we bring the bikes back, or maybe just straight from Sturgis. And that's why I kind of want to do it clockwise, because it'll still be summer, Canada will be warmer, and then by the time we get down into Florida, it'll still be decent. And I, I, I hope we are able to get up into Colorado before the snow comes in, but you never know with that one. That'll kind of dictate where we finish off, but I definitely want it to be more than, it's not just a vacation. I think it's, it's, you know, it's an exploration into yourself, and I definitely want that to translate past me. You know, we got plans to write a book and all that, but um, at the same time, no matter how good you are when you're writing a book, it's, it's a fairly egotistical thing you're you're writing about yourself extremely your selfish yeah um so we're we're well i'm still working with the concept right now but just um an issue that is not just a veteran issue but is a human issue is is loneliness and that eventually leads to depression and suicide and so i want to be able to stop off at some spots um i think people forget especially as we're more connected on the internet we're more alone because the connections are artificial you know, the people check up on you by sending you a private message and say, are you okay? That's not going to help a depressed person. Right. And uh, it's the human contact we have on the day-to-day. Um, you know, because I had no times in my life where I just, it didn't particularly matter if I lived or died. And I'm probably still alive because it didn't matter if I lived or died. So why bother killing myself? I was that lazy mm. and that depressed. Mm. And um, I want to be able to raise awareness because we don't talk about loneliness. Um, suicide is a thing we can deal with. It's even like a medical problem. People treat it like it's a psychiatric condition. If you have suicidal thoughts, you can take a pill. You can talk to someone. But uh, loneliness affects a lot of people. It's sort of like um, the working poor. You know, they, they got a job and they're paying their bills, so they don't need any government assistance. But they're they're living from paycheck to paycheck, and they're going to die prematurely from a lot of stress. And most of the country lives like that. So nobody wants to talk about it because it's not a problem. Everybody's dealing with it. So that, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. You know, everybody I met in Iraq was dealing with the war. War was still a problem. It wasn't, it wasn't normal. And uh, I definitely want the ride to have a bigger 
reach. I want to go to, you know, old folks' homes. I want to go to shelters. I think that's part of why we want to go to some Buddhist temples and stuff, too. I'm not particularly religious, but I definitely believe um, when you change your own world, the world around you changes immediately. Um, it's just so it's so simple to do when you do it, but it's so hard. You can't think your way into it. And I'm kind of an intellectual guy. I, I want to think my way into everything. So I like bikes. You know, it needs air, it needs spark, and it needs fuel. If it's not starting, I can just start at the front and work my way back. And you know, there's a spark spark plug. And um, humans aren't like that. Depression's not like that. It, yeah. You can have everything you want and still be depressed. And I think that's really it. It needs to be talked about more. So that it's not a taboo, because uh, it's too weird to ask your buddy at work, "Hey, man, are you lonely?" They're gonna like, "What are you, you hitting on me? You want to take me on a date?" <laughs> they're gonna be immediately right. defensive. That's a hard one. Yeah, and uh, it just it shouldn't be. We're all going through something. I, I definitely want the trip to tell a bigger story than John and Kate uh, got some time off from school and rode a motorcycle around the country. That's a great story. I love reading those stories, but. Um, it's, it's more than a vacation, you know, it's, it's a, it's a search. Yeah. And we've, and we've talked about that, uh, third element. I refer to it as a third element to any story. What's the benefit of it? What's the benefit to human race, the human race? Yeah. Good for you. I think that'll be a big one. That'll be a good one. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yes. Still fleshing the concept out. But also, too, the, the looser your plan, the better you are to receive what the world's going to give you as a lesson. Because if you're out there trying to find the answer, then you're disregarding things that aren't correlate to the answer you're looking for. As I sit around and wait for the truth, the truth knocks at the door, and I say, go away, I'm waiting on the truth. Mm-hmm. That's Robert Persay, I'm quoting, sending yeah. the art of motorcycle maintenance. And that's a very appropriate one. I remember that quote. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the Headlight. And just like that, the saga continues as the road goes on forever and the party never ends. Let's throw the headlight on. A few more super cool Ride 1K and Adairs. This one's going out to Evanevsky on the gram. Came back for a second annual Ride 1K, 1,047 miles in 17 hours, 46 minutes, through Arizona. Well done, Evan. Again, this is all available on the gram. He writes, not being a morning person and waking up before sucks. I totally agree. But it meant I had the roads mostly to myself until I got to Lake Havasu City, where national holiday plus large body of water equals traffic. The ride was easy going. What with the long straight roads Arizona loves to use, gave me all a chance to look around and see how pretty the state actually is. From the dry flat lands in the south to the forests up north. It was quite a ride through Arizona. Way to go, Evan. This is a fun one. Indy 500 style. On the gram at Form Fan crushed 15 laps around our nation's capital in lieu of Rolling to Remember Memorial Day. 1,002 miles in 15 hours, 58 minutes. That's 15 laps around our capital. They write, the pandemic and lockdown delayed my non-essential cross-country road trip, postponed the Indy 500, and turned Rolling Thunder, now known as Rolling to Remember, into a virtual event. 
where I live in the national capital region, we are still closed except essential workers. With this going on, I still wanted to challenge myself, test out my new bike, and get some COVID-killing sunshine close to home. I live near the Beltway, a 64-mile loop around D.C. that crosses the Potomac twice and touches Virginia, Maryland, and the district. I hit on the idea of my own Indy 500-style event, one start-slash-finish line, and one designated location for the pit stops for 16 laps over a closed course. I talked to the managers of three gas stations before I found one just inside the Beltway that could serve as my 24-hour full-service pit stop. Well done. 15, I'm sorry, 16 laps. That's the way to do it. Welcome to the cult. And then, once again, there's this guy at SD underscore real underscore estate. As I just wrote in a post, I hate this guy. He makes everyone look bad. He's just out enjoying life and killing it. 1K every month for this year. But this wasn't your typical 1K. We have a new time record, folks. 1,044 miles in 12 hours, 53 minutes, which means he actually hit 1K approximately 30 minutes sooner, but we only work with what we can prove. So 12 hours, 53 minutes is the new time to beat. And he didn't stop there. He kept going with 1,570 miles in 21 hours, 44 minutes. Let's hear what Mr. San Diego Real Estate has to say. I'm not exactly sure how the conversation went down, but I was having a beer and called a friend in Oklahoma who said his local bars were open. I was whining that I hadn't been in a bar in months, and he suggested I come out. A few days later, I was on the road. I've been having some fun with the 1Ks and was feeling confident, and his house is just about 1,500 miles from mine, so I thought I'd challenge myself with the task. In addition, I remembered seeing that in 2019, the miles crushed by Rhett Sadler, 1K, 13 hours. I was going to be going through the desert at night during a pandemic and thought shooting to beat that time would be a good focal point. That and 1,500 miles felt a little daunting. I definitely wanted to knock out the first 1,000 as quickly as possible. Sitting on the back, I was calculating my time. 12.30 might be possible. As usual, though, the road always has a few curveballs. At Gila Bend, I was low on fuel, but thought for sure there would be another stop soon. Just a few miles past the exit, I see next service, 60 miles. Dun, dun, dun. Had to backtrack for fuel, which cost me some time. Next, I pulled off somewhere in the middle of the night in New Mexico, and the fuel pump didn't work. More precious minutes wasted. I started to think hitting the 13-hour mark was going to be out of reach, but right about then, a Lincoln Navigator blew by me, and I thought, what the hell? If he's going to lead the way, I'll just tag along. I thought if I could ride his tail for an hour or so, I might just make up enough time to put 13 back in reach. I was able to hang with him for about 90 minutes before he finally just kept creeping away. I knew I could catch him, but if I were to get pulled over, I would definitely lose too much time. The bar was indeed open. Needless to say, we're all pretty excited. Well done, sir. Congratulations. Killing it as you like your life. 1K every month.
Okay, let's get the details. This is five friends crushing a 1K loop in the South. And by South, I mean somewhere around Alabama, Georgia, and the like. So here's how it goes. 1,036 miles in 19 hours, 22 minutes. Now all their times and mileage, it's all gonna be just a little different because of fuel stops and times and stuff, but all for the joy of riding and to support some of their favorite small businesses during these tough times. Between the five friends, it goes something like this. This ride started as a conversation on a New Year's Day ride out. We have a core group of riders that started a group called Rebar. Re as in redo and bar as in BMW ADV riders. As COVID hit, we looked for a great way to break out of the quarantine and we went out almost every weekend, giving our dollars to local places that managed to stay open. We then got the idea to help out one of our favorite spots in New Orleans. We agreed that as soon as the Parkway Bakery and Tavern reopened, we would make it down and back for lunch. We were able to tip someone very well that day. So with good people and excellent communication, we completed 1,026 miles in well under 24 hours. We had very few issues as we started at 4 a.m. and were able to breeze through Atlanta traffic at that hour. Hit a bad thunderstorm just north of New Orleans and had to do a safety stop. But as pop-up showers are, we were back on the road in under 30 minutes. We were not able to get table service and had to eat standing up. So we left way ahead of our schedule. The afternoon heat took a toll and we needed to add an extra stop to hydrate. Once we hit I-20 in Mississippi, or Mississippi, it was smooth sailing and beef jerky all the way home to complete our ride. Bathrooms were closed and lack of table service. This pushed us way ahead of schedule, but I never felt better when we finished. Absolutely. Scott 1200 GSA, welcome. Let's get to one of my favorites, one of my old dearest friends here in Southern California, Miss Becky Tarts, under T-I-G-R-B-K-Y on the gram. She came back for her fourth annual Ride 1K, this time with a few friends. For this one, we clocked our 1,057 miles in 22 hours, 17 minutes. Nice ride, Becky. Look forward to seeing you again next year. She writes, my girl at netters underscore soul underscore shines told me she was headed to a gathering hosted by the ladies Lubbock and I knew from experience that it was a thousand mile ride. After a few months of quarantine, we were both ready to hit the open road. So I invited myself along. Inland Empire lead us social media sites and made it an open invite. More than a few people claimed they were up for the challenge. Five girls actually started out. Kickstands up, 3 a.m. is always a make it or break it time. And by the time we reached Phoenix, two decided it wasn't going to happen. Lack of sleep and heat. Myself, Annette, and Baxter Postures pushed forward. I'm not going to lie. It was hot, but we made it. Taking I-10 to Las Cruces and then heading diagonally through the white sands of Roswell was our route. The last 150 miles are always the worst, but we managed and we came in under time. All in all, it was a great start to an amazing weekend with our new friends, and I look forward to picking up this challenge next year again. Well done, Becky, Annette, and Inland Empire lead us friends alike. Congratulations, ladies. You rock. 
Next time on the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show, you will hear part two, John and Kate plus motorcycle. It's going to get real exciting. And of course, we will have more headlights on Ride One K in a Day riders. Enjoy them and their stories. Check them out on the gram at Ride One K in a Day. Check us out on the gram, American Roadrunner. The website, AmericanRoadRunnerTheBook.com. Find the book anywhere. Find this show anywhere. Recommend it to a friend. And as always, be good to yourself and enjoy your road, my fellows. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. All I want is a machine between my legs and an open highway. Music for the American Roadrunner podcast is brought to you by Meek. The American Roadrunner podcast is an ARR production. Keep up with Bob Marshall and his adventures and stories from the road at AmericanRoadRunnerTheBook.com, American Roadrunner on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. We'll see you on the road.